Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. This kind of combination of embracing radical curiosity which is my way of saying kind of having the courage to look at the things that might be painful for you in your life which for me in this case was the devastating pain of losing my fiance and then the second stage of that is i kind of think about it as like the the art of surrender Today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers. And learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Johnny Miller. He has been a startup mentor to over 250 early stage founders around the world. He is also a growth marketer. TEDx speaker, author, emotional resilience coach, and world traveler. Johnny is also the host of the Curious Humans podcast. After losing his fiance to suicide, Johnny delivered a powerful TEDx talk in 2019 entitled The Gifts of Grief, where he shares his grieving process and his profound reflections on death, mental health, and radical curiosity about grief and its impact. In 2012, Johnny co-founded Maptia, whose mission is to foster empathy through storytelling by providing a platform for travelers, writers, and photographers to document and capture the world around us and create a living archive of inspiring and impactful stories from around the globe. Johnny's writing on global innovation has been featured in Forbes, The Huffington Post, and many other publications. But Johnny is disproportionately proud of once crossing the English Channel on an inflatable stand-up paddleboard. Johnny, welcome to the show. (laughs) It's great to be here, Matt. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you here, man. I am so impressed and inspired by so many things that you're doing. Just to set the context here, first of all, we're not actually in person doing this interview today. If we were, I'd offer to buy you a bottle of wine. We're actually doing this remotely. I'm actually in Dubai recording this. And where are you today? I'm currently in Changu in Bali, where it has just started raining. The heavens have opened outside. So if you hear some some background noise, that's the, that's the rain. <laughs> 
Well, you and I actually met through a number of our shared friends who Maverick Show listeners will know because a number of them have been on the podcast, including Danielle Thompson, Ella Cook, Arthur Worsley, Aaron Young. And you're just part of a really, really special crew of people that mean a lot to both of us in Bali. And you and I have been trying to put this interview together for a while. So super, super excited. We're finally able to make it happen. And uh, awesome to have you here today, man. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in. I'd love for you to just start off talking a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and what your journey's been like that ultimately brought you to Bali. I guess when I first came here to Bali, uh, just over 10 years ago, I took a year out between school and university uh, to do some do some travel and ended up here in Bali where I learned to surf and kind of fell in love with fell in love with the island. It was one of the one of the most amazing places that I, I traveled to. Um, and then I went back for university in the UK, up in Durham, where I studied philosophy and economics. And I think that's kind of where the seeds of everything that followed were really planted. I started a travel magazine with two really close friends, which then we then graduated. And I think all of us realized that we didn't want to get jobs in the city. And we kind of seen enough people uh, kind of almost like lose their soul after a few, a few years of working there. So we we went traveling and um, Dorothy and Dean, my two uh, then co-founders, discovered this startup accelerator program called Startup Chile, which was based in Santiago. And it's a government-run accelerator program where the government give foreign entrepreneurs $40,000 to fly to Chile and start a business. So we thought this is, you know, this sounds too good to be true. And we applied for for this program. We kind of filled our application full of like business buzzwords. We we really didn't know what we were what we were talking about at the time. My co-founder Dean thought startups were something to do with <laughs> with engines or cars. It, we were re- like really incredibly naive at the time. Um, but that that accelerator program was really where we we surrounded ourselves with other. There were over 200 other entrepreneurs from, I think, 65 different countries around the world. And I think we just kind of sought out to, to be sponges, really, and, you know, learn as much as we could um, from these other much more experienced founders. And I kind of lent into the marketing and business development side of things. Dorothy, my co-founder, picked up design and Dean became a full stack developer. And kind of with these newfound skills, we were able to build a prototype, which we're then able to use to get into Techstars, which is another startup accelerator based in in Seattle. And they gave us some investment. And they, this kind of kickstarted a, I guess, a nomadic startup adventure that led us to five continents. Um, we, we lived and worked in Morocco for a year. Uh, we came to Bali for a bit. Yeah, it's, 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 been, a, it's been a wild journey. Well, I would love to hear a little bit more about your personal entrepreneurial journey in founding and building Mapdia. Mm, okay, yeah, perfect. So I think for, for us, getting into Techstars was a really big kind of step forward. We, we felt very, um, I think we kind of had imposter syndrome because we felt like we were young and not particularly experienced. And we were in this program alongside people who'd been at, at Apple and Google and, and Amazon and these, these really experienced people. And I think because of that, we, we almost set out to please a lot of the, the mentors that we were given there. And, and th- these were really smart people. But I think we fell into the trap of just trying to 
ticked these boxes and, and almost we almost got mental whiplash where I think we lost sight of our kind of original connection to the vision and, and why we wanted to start Maptia. And we felt like we were just flailing in lots of different directions and, and working crazy hours, to be honest, like seven days a week, not really taking care of ourselves. And although we were, we were busy the whole time, we didn't really achieve that much um, during the program, which, which is, is through no fault of, of Techstars. It's a wonderful program, but it was just the approach that we took. So when the program finished, we, uh, we, we had a, we called it a Techstars hangover where for two weeks we just kind of, we were useless. We just slept and needed to recover. But following that, we, our visas expired from the States. So we had to leave the US anyway. And we made the decision to spin the globe and find somewhere that would allow us to build Maptia, our startup, in a slower and more sustainable way and extending our runway much further than if we, if we lived somewhere in a, in a big city. So we moved to Tagazut, which is a little fishing village in Morocco, where I once worked as a surf instructor. And we, we ended up living there for 11 months. And that was, that was one of the best business decisions that we made because we were able to to really slow down and to build more intentionally and reconnect with the reasons that we started Maptia in the first place, which were was from a, a love of travel and a passion for long-form storytelling and photography. So the platform launched out in Morocco and we then um, moved to Switzerland and then Bali. And we've written a post called 10 Lessons Learned from the First Thousand Days of Building Maptia. And I think a lot of those lessons were around um, persistence and, and tenacity and building more deliberately as opposed to kind of getting caught up in the very intoxicating rush of the startup echo chamber, which I, I would imagine a few listeners are familiar with. Well, I know at this point, in your journey, you have now mentored over 250 startup founders. And I would love to ask you to share just sort of any common themes or overlapping or recurring struggles or challenges or hurdles that you see startup founders having, or you think startup founders should be paying attention to, and any tips you have about overcoming those. Mm. Yeah, good question. So for, for context, I moved on from my role at Maptia about five years ago and joined a company in London called Escape the City, where I design, designed and led their startup tribe program, which was a 12-week accelerator for early stage entrepreneurs to basically go from having an idea in the head to putting that idea out in the world um, and kind of going through the prototyping, marketing, fundraising, all of kind of the all of those those steps and in terms of advice and and lessons from mentoring i think that one of the biggest lessons for me to be honest was actually to step back a little bit and give less advice and learn how to ask better questions i i think that often it can be easy to kind of feel like you you need to give value or you need to deliver content and, and deliver insights but i i think that for the majority of the founders that I've spoken to, they they often already know the answers and, and they have a fairly good sense of, at least deep down, what their next step should be. But it's it's often helping them to get clear on that and almost giving them permission slips to follow their own intuition. That's kind of one of the biggest themes. And then I, I think that a lot of the blockers and a lot of the resistance usually stems down to 
fear of some sort. And that could show up as imposter syndrome. It could show up as a kind of scarcity mindset in terms of feeling like they haven't got enough money or resources or connections or whatever that looks like. And so it's, it's really just working through that and, and giving them support as well. I, I think a lot of founders fall into the trap of thinking that they have to go through everything on their own and that asking for help somehow makes them weak. And so actually kind of helping them to receive the support that is, is almost always out there when, they, when they're able to ask for it. Can you also talk about the concept of emotional resilience? I think as an entrepreneur myself, you know, one of the biggest challenges of my journey has been this entrepreneurial roller coaster that goes up and it goes down. And, you know, a lot of people talk about time and the importance of, you know, optimizing the use of your time and all this other kind of stuff. But one of the things that I've been, you know, reflecting on over the years is just, you know, the importance of, your emotional state and how much, you know, entrepreneurship takes out of you, not just in terms of your time, but in terms of your emotional energy. And I know that that's one of the things that you've really been focused on lately. And I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about emotional resilience in general. What is it, you know, what types of reflections have you had on it? And how are you working with entrepreneurs on that at the moment? Yeah, so this topic is really alive for me right now. I've, I've actually just finished kind of designing and prototyping the content for some day-long masterclasses. Um, so, I, yeah, I have a lot of ideas and, and thoughts around this. And I think that, I suppose as a starting point, it's been helpful for me to actually split the topic of emotional resiliency into three different areas. And those different areas are recovery strategies. So that might be something like, getting good sleep, eating nourishing food, um, meditation, that sort of thing. Capacity increasing strategies, and that's things that enable you to kind of thrive in situations that, that have a higher emotional intensity and basically be able to take more more highs and lows on that roller coaster without being knocked off. And then the third piece, which is, I think, really overlooked by, by the majority of, of humans, <laughs> let alone founders, is the resiliency piece. And that for me is the journey of processing potentially traumatic or, or intense events. And for me, the, the journey for that or, or for kind of really living this process has been the journey of grief for the last two years. And it's, it's obviously outside of the kind of the entrepreneurial sphere. But, but for me, the lesson was really learning how to kind of be weak enough to kind of investigate the pain that was in that was that was inside and the pain that I had kind of learned not to feel throughout much of my upbringing in in the UK where a lot of us are kind of emotionally repressed I'd say and I think particularly as startup founders we we spend a lot of time in our heads and we we have this very kind of analytical approach and we're we're really disconnected from our bodies and from our feelings and so it it often takes um it takes a lot for uh, our, our heads and our minds to, to pay attention to the to whatever our body's going through, and so I think the first step is really developing a kind of somatic awareness and just a sense of like how am I feeling in this moment? Like what what is coming up for me? What is going on? And learning to listen to our body's feedback in often in the form of, of emotions and processing that. Yeah, no, for sure, and, and I think that 
you know, your TED talk was incredibly profound, your TEDx talk that you did in Bali. And we're going to link that up in the show notes. I want people to go and watch that for a number of reasons. I mean, it's not something that you can just summarize because your language that you used in that TED talks was so poetically masterful and powerful. I feel like the the entire TEDx talk itself is just a piece of art that I want people to go and listen to because of just how incredibly powerful it is. But I would love for you to share a little bit of the context and, you know, the reflections that have come out of that process that you went through. It was obviously a, a massive life-altering thing, of course. And so anything that you can share for the listeners in terms of the context of what you went through and how you navigated it and what your reflections are at this point in your life. Mm. Well, thank you for the the kind words. That, that really means a lot. Um, I think that the... The themes of the talk were this kind of combination of embracing radical curiosity, which is my way of saying kind of having the courage to look at the things that might be painful for you in your life, which for me in this case was the devastating pain of losing my fiance. And then the second stage of that is I kind of think about it as like the the art of surrender. And that for me was the kind of two year long journey of putting myself into situations that initially I was I was kind of drawn to the people and places that were imbued with a sense of, of Sophie, who was who was my partner. And it was actually through the process of swimming in the sea in Brighton, which is where we used to live. And this was in kind of October, November time when the water was six or seven degrees. And there's something about stepping into freezing cold water and the kind of the shock and the pain that comes with that and learning to, to, to almost sink into that and let it, let the cold seep into your bones and not resisting it. And from that place, the pain kind of dissolves and the pain kind of goes away and yeah, I was able to swim for 20 minutes to half an hour. And for me, that that's a really wonderful metaphor for the process of of navigating grief, but also navigating any kind of um, kind of painful experience or or, or or some kind of shameful feeling that might be hard to kind of sink into. And after a few months there, I I spent 10 days on a silent Vipassana meditation retreat, which again was kind of this this process of learning to surrender to the the endless stream of thoughts that comes up and again kind of sinking into some of those places that or, or some of those feelings that only arise when we're able to get still and i then took that into um free diving which is now my kind of new favorite hobby i'm gonna head up to do some more next weekend but that for me is it, it's like underwater meditation and again the lesson is is you kind of inquire into your body as to like, where am I tense? Where am I feeling stuck? And you then equalize and you then sink maybe two or three meters deeper. And then you repeat the process. You, you kind of, you say, okay, maybe my, my stomach is tense. I need to relax my belly. And then you're able to equalize and you, you fall deeper and deeper and the pressure gets more and more intense. And it's this like real time feedback of how relaxed are you? How surrendered into this experience are you? I think kind of looking 
looking back on the two years, it's really been that that ongoing journey into into curiosity and into embracing surrender. You are also the host of the Curious Humans podcast. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about this concept of radical curiosity. What does it mean to be a curious human and why is that important? Yeah. Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah. So I, (laughs) where did this begin? I think this started from something that I would imagine a lot of entrepreneurs can listen to, which is is having too many ideas and too many interests, but not really enough time to kind of follow all of these different things. And I began this podcast project um, as an experiment to turn the lens of curiosity back on itself. I think I became really fascinated by curiosity and particularly the question of why we tend to take it seriously as adults. It's something that is kind of encouraged in children, but as soon as you get to a certain age, um, it's, it's kind of lost. And I was really interested in why do we lose it and, and how do people reclaim it in their adult lives? And during some of my conversations with curiosity researchers and authors, um, there's been some really interesting insights that have surfaced. Um, for example, there's really powerful connections between curiosity and creativity and um, some researchers citing curiosity as the antidote to depression and that it's impossible to be to be angry or depressed um, and curious at the same time. And I think that for me, it, it's also been a kind of a medium for my own lifelong learning and kind of experimentation. And as, as I'm sure the case is true for you, starting a podcast is a really great way to connect with interesting people and have really deep dive intimate conversations with with people that you wouldn't otherwise normally get a chance to talk to. And the theme has kind of been evolving from this idea of of just investigating curiosity itself to this idea of of radical curiosity and how do we have the courage to look at some of the harder aspects of life that we tend to habitually avoid or, or numb in order to kind of avoid feeling. So that's kind of been the the evolution of the journey, but it's it's honestly been one of the most rewarding projects that I've ever started. And I'm, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this as well, but I feel like learning to ask good questions is also kind of an art in itself as well. And and also knowing when to to deviate away from the kind of scripted questions that you have and to follow the the flow of a conversation into wherever it wants to lead. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. And I I think that is kind of an, an art in itself. 
100%. Yeah. Which is how, uh, you know, 30 minute podcast of mine turns into two hours real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. As yeah, my, yeah. as my listeners well know, <laughs> I would love for you to just also, yeah, share some reflections in terms of the guests that you have had on your podcast up to this point. I'd love for you to just share, for example, you know, some of the types of guests that have been on your show, some of the types of topics that you've discussed. And I would love to hear of all of the people that you've interviewed so far, what are some of your most powerful takeaways that you've learned from your guests? It's like trying to choose between children, right? Like, how do you, <laughs> how, how do you decide? Um, what comes up for me? I was really blessed. Um, last year, last summer. I spent a week on the west coast of Ireland with a philosopher poet called David White. We sat in this cottage in Ballyvaughan by a by a fireside drinking drinking whiskey and it was one of those conversations where you know you just kind of pinch yourself. He speaks with such reverence and kind of deep attention that it's I, I almost felt transfixed and it was really hard to maintain eye contact as well during the during the conversation I remember. But we we talked about courage as a measure of heartfelt participation with life. And he has these these wonderful definitions of words that he's written in this book called Consolations. And I, I'd say with that conversation, it, it was less about kind of specific takeaways and more just about the feeling and the felt experience of, of being there and listening to the, the kind of poetic quality of his voice. Um, so if, yeah, if, if any listeners kind of want something to to fall asleep to <laughs> his he has a, he has a beautiful a beautiful kind of irish transit transatlantic accent um so that that was a really powerful conversation conversation for me um other episodes that i've i've really enjoyed i talked to a curiosity researcher called anna starkey who basically helps to kind of describe the literature behind curiosity and, and how there's there's diversive curiosity versus epistemic curiosity, for example. So diversity curiosity is where we get interested in lots of kind of shiny objects. It's like like a social media feed or like being pulled in lots of different directions, as opposed to epistemic curiosity, which is taking a question and really diving deep, like drilling deep and following the question with a passion. So that was really interesting for me. I spoke to a, a 12-year-old conscious fashion entrepreneur called Hanley who lives here in Changi recently. And that was, that was very humbling for me as well. Like meeting someone who is 12 years old and, you know, more articulate than certainly I was and probably am. And just have, seeing her confidence and seeing what she's been capable of achieving with the permission slips and the support from her parents is, is really inspiring. And then finally, I also really enjoyed a conversation with this guy, Kevin Hainline, who is a NASA astronomer and his curiosity for the night sky and his just just voracious intellectual interest in in seemingly everything was was just a real joy to be around and it was one of those conversations where I kind of I maybe say say like four or five words in the whole conversation and he just goes off in these, these amazing lyrical lyrical rants I guess and one one of the things that stands out just thinking back to it was he he talked about how constellations in the night sky are, are different in tribes and cultures all around the world and how you can interpret or you can kind of gain insight into the culture from the types of stories that they tell 
from the constellations up in the night sky. And I just thought that was so beautiful. And yeah, he just inspired me to care more about the night sky. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we're definitely going to link up your podcast in the show notes so folks can go check that out. Everything we talk about in this episode is going to be in one place at themaverickshow.com. Let me ask you one more podcasting question, which is you mentioned at the beginning uh, about developing skills as a podcast host and as the person who's asking the questions. And I'm wondering just with all the interviews that you've done now and all the experience that you have, what reflections or tips or lessons do you have? I'd love, I mean, you and I obviously are both, you know, striving daily to become better at our craft of podcasting, of course. But at this point, you know, what for you makes a great interview, a, you know, lessons about being a better interviewer and just creating great podcast episodes? I'd love to know that. And, and we have other podcasters as well that listen to the show. So I'd love to hear your reflections at this point in your journey. I would say that for me, it's, it's been learning to be alive to what is kind of coming through from the other person in that moment. And I think also there's something around creating a sense of, of vulnerability, kind of connection as early on as possible in the conversation that allows guests to, to kind of free themselves and to be curious as to what what it is that they really are feeling in the moment as opposed to the, the more pre-scripted answers that they might have given on, you know, on previous podcasts or shows or just, just, just that default response and how to ask questions which almost act as pattern interrupts and get them to lower down their guards and to think about something for the first time or, or perhaps to elicit a story that they might have thought about for a while. So one, one question that I like to ask is, what was someone's favorite book growing up as a child? And I kind of have this theory that the the narratives and stories that resonate with us when we're growing up contain clues to our life's purpose. Um, and so that's been kind of an interesting question to, to open up with. And yeah, it's 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 really interesting. And I, and I think there's lots of, I mean, I, I'm a complete podcast addict and I, I listen to so many podcasts and I love the diversity. I think there's there's lots of ways to, to do this. Um, but for me, it's, it really comes down to, comes down to good stories and to being alive to what wants to kind of come through in that moment and letting go of the, the ideas of the questions you wanted to ask before hitting, before hitting record. That's really awesome insight, I think. Speaking of really good stories, I have got to ask you about crossing the English channel on an inflatable stand-up paddleboard can you tell us this story <laughs> yeah sure yeah um, it was kind of wild so I think I've, I've always been interested in adventures I've kind of grown up reading adventure stories and my friends Jamie who I met in in Chile we were just talking on Skype one day and you know I don't even know how the idea came about but as soon as one of us said it we were like we need to do this. We, we need to make this happen. <laughs> and we basically, yeah, we trained for kind of, I guess, a few months, which mostly involves kind of learning how not to fall off on these inflatable sand paddleboards, which are pretty unstable once you put them into more than like a, a foot of water. So we raised a lot of money for Charity Water and we got a support boat, which then at 6 a.m. 
one morning on the English coastline kind of guided us across the 21 mile between England and France. And for, for the majority of it, it was actually, um, it was relatively pleasant, but there were times when the wind really kicked up and I, I don't know, I must have fallen off 25, 30 times. But I'd say the scariest part was just having the, it's quite a busy shipping highway. And so every kind of 15 minutes, there'd be a giant kilometer long tanker that would kind of uh, loom on, on the horizon. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember I remember one time where um, the support boat was was radioing through to this tanker and saying, you know, watch out for these, these two British idiots on the boards. And the guy in the boat replied in Japanese. <laughs> so our support boat was like, go, go, go. Just like, <laughs> paddle as hard as you can. And yeah, it was just a really, a really great day. And we made it across in, I think it was just over five and a half hours, which was actually a lot quicker than we'd anticipated. And it was good fun. And I, I love paddle boards and I'm looking to do a new, another a crossing or maybe probably along a, a river next time I think is more appealing. But it's it's a really wonderfully kind of meditative activity. That's amazing. And I know you've had a lot of travel adventures over the years and you've traveled around the world a lot. And I'd love to ask you just at this point in your life, just a macro question about why you travel what do you get out of it what does travel mean to you mm, great question i think it's it's really changed a lot over the years remembering back to when i was when i was 19 and planning my first trip around the world i felt like my my upbringing had had been just quite like narrow in a lot of ways and i think i just had this really voracious curiosity about other ways of being in the world and other places and reading National Geographic and watching documentaries. I was just so interested in, in these places. So I, I think in the beginning, it was out of this kind of sense of, uh, the sense of adventure, really. Like it, it feels like there's nothing more exhilarating than landing in a completely foreign country on your own for the first time, not speaking the language, just getting kind of wonderfully lost in this new place and feeling like you can, you can you can almost start a new identity if you want you know you, you, no one there knows who you are most of them probably won't see you again and i think that the lessons from travel have been there've been so many i mean it's often very humbling um going to some of these new places and i think it it really does it's a cliche but it really does broaden your horizons and expand your perspective and and you start to realize that there were there are other ways of orienting yourself in the world, which are, are completely acceptable and fine, but they're just very different to the kind of assumptions that we didn't question growing up. For me, I also fell in love with surfing when I went traveling, and that has been a just one of my the greatest kind of joys in my life, really. And it's taken me to some places that I don't think I would have been to had it not been for the the allure of empty, glassy waves. And with all of your travels all over the world and all of the places that you've seen, what is it about Bali that brought you back there and the reason that you made the decision to base yourself there for now? Yeah, so I think that, again, I was probably brought here for the the surfing, um, the food and the obviously the, the tropical weather and the cultural beauty. But I, I think... In all honesty, I've stayed because of the of the community 
the people like Ella and Arthur and Danielle and people that you've that you've interviewed and other friends like them who I, I feel like are kind of an extended family in many ways. So I think being part of a really intentional, creative community here is kind of what feels like home to me. And although it, it's my base, I probably spend a few months of the year traveling, but being able to come back to this, this just welcoming and warm family of, of humans who I really get on with and who, who challenge me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really been the people that I've stayed for, I think. And I, I'm not sure how many, how much longer I'll be here, but certainly most of next year feels right to me. Awesome. And can you talk a little bit more about Mapdia and what that is, what its current form is, and just sort of let people know what the concept was behind Mapdia and what they can find there? Yeah, of course. So Mapdia is a is an online storytelling platform that was, for us, inspired by National Geographic, and we wanted to create something that anyone could contribute to. So it's crowdsourced photo stories from all around the world that are tagged to different countries and places. And so you can explore the world through the lens of surfing or food. Uh, there were some, some amazing stories from, tri- from indigenous tribes around the world. And it's basically this, this interactive map that allows you to get inspired and learn about the world and hopefully kind of fuel people's stoke for travel and desire to protect the planet as well. Awesome. We're going to link that up in the show notes as well. So everything will be in one place. And Johnny, I want to respect your time. I know we have a hard stop today. So I want to move us into the final portion of the interview. Are you ready for the lightning round? Yeah. And appropriately, lightning has just started (laughs) on this side in Changi. So (laughs) yeah, there'll be some some good good sound effects as well. (laughs) Amazing. What is one book that has significantly influenced you over the years that you'd most recommend people check out? I think that's a tough one. Probably Waking Up by Sam Harris, because it was one of the things that led to a consistent meditation practice for me. And I then this year became a meditation teacher. And I think I wouldn't have gone down that journey had it not been for reading his book waking up. So I'd thoroughly recommend that to to any listeners, particularly those who are skeptical of kind of the the Eastern mystical approaches and are looking for a more um, more rational approach to, to meditation. Awesome. What is one either productivity tool or an app in any category that you're currently using that you'd most recommend people check out? I love the tool called Notion that I've been obsessed with recently. And it's, it's basically a, a note-taking tool it's replaced Evernote for me and, and I have a, a huge number of kind of online notes that I've been adding to over the years. And for me, Notion, just it just reflects the way that my brain works in a way. And I've just been obsessed with that recently and I've been doing all of my writing in Notion. So I'd recommend checking that out. Awesome. If you could have dinner with any person that you've never met, somebody who's currently alive today. So this is actually a possibility in theory. Uh, who would you choose to sit down with for a few hours, just you and that person and why? Huh. I'd probably say Jerry Colonna, who I'd actually, um, one, of my, one of my 
dreams for next year would be to interview him on the on the Curious Humans podcast. But he is a executive coach and kind of a previously a, a VC, but he's one of the most insightful human beings that I've I've ever come across. And I've I recently finished reading his book Reboot and it's just it's just phenomenal. And I, I thoroughly recommend it to anyone in the startup world. Yeah, I'd probably say say Joey Colonna. Although I feel like it would be a challenging conversation. He has a tendency of of turning the tables and asking really probing questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be sure to listen to that episode if you get him on the podcast. That's that's awesome. <laughs> uh, if you could go back in time, knowing everything that you know now in your life and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Johnny? I, <laughs> maybe I'm taking this question too literally, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything. I, I think that all of the mistakes that I've made have been instrumental to kind of get me to where I am today. And I feel like if, if we have any regrets in our life, it's, it's probably because we haven't investigated whatever that, whatever that experience was. And and mind it for insights um yeah i i really wouldn't give my former self any advice at all because i might not end up where i am today that's fair that's a completely uh fair answer okay if you could recommend one content medium that you consume could you mention you listen to a lot of podcasts or it could be a blog that you read or you know youtube channel or anything one content medium that you consume that you think people should check out other than your own what would you recommend mm. huge huge listener of audiobooks and podcasts these days specific podcasts that i've been enjoying are um on being by krista tippett i think is is absolutely fantastic and i i've been really engaged in the kind of this it's called the sense making community or or game b or the intellectual dark web and there's there's a series of podcasts from rebel wisdom to future thinkers to emerge which are kind of asking the question of given that we're going through somewhat of a planetary crisis what comes next and, and how do we kind of navigate this <laughs> this sounds funny with the lightning in the background um how do we navigate this really intense time of transition um both kind of personally and and, and collectively um so particularly the sense making community podcasts and blogs i've been just really interested in lately awesome we're going to link that up in the show notes as well so people can just go to one place and check all of these things out all right. The last two questions are travel questions. First one is, what are the top three favorite travel destinations you've ever been to that you'd most recommend people check out? So I'd say, this is tough. I'd say the first one would be would be Morocco, um, specifically Tagazut, where we, where we lived and worked for 11 months. And I just love the love the diversity of the of the culture there and i just have a real soft spot for it uh, number two would be Kauai, which is the the smallest island in the the island chain in hawaii and there's a specific trek called the nepali coast on the north shore which is just absolutely breathtaking and one of my yeah favorite favorite place in the world that i'd love to return to third place hmm 
I would say, I'd probably say the northeast coast of Scotland, where I used to surf um, in very cold water in a thick six millimeter neoprene wetsuit with with a hood and gloves. And there's just something wonderfully remote and nourishing about the coastline there. So those would be my top three. Awesome. And what are your top three bucket list destinations, places you've never been that are the highest on your list right now you'd most like to see? Right now, again, these would probably be surfing destinations. (laughs) Uh, The first would probably be, it it would have to be Tahiti just because there's a wave called Chopu there. Yeah, I'd say Tahiti to surf Chopu, which is um, very intimidating, but very famous, famous wave. Um, secondly, I think Patagonia, actually, I've only been to Santiago in Chile. I haven't really explored much of South America at all. And that feels like an entire continent that I, I'd love to spend a good amount of time and specifically in Patagonia doing some trekking and looking for empty waves on the, the Western Chilean coastline. Um, thirdly, hmm. Probably Antarctica, <laughs> um, mostly because my dad used to work for the British Antarctic Survey and he's been multiple times and I never got a chance to go. So I would love to see see some of Antarctica at some point. Yeah, those would be my top three. Amazing. Awesome. Well, Johnny, I want to thank you so much for being on the show and I want you to let folks know how they can find out about everything you're up to, if they're interested in MAPDIA, if they're interested in emotional resilience, if they're interested in checking out your podcast, they want to follow you on social media, how can people come into your world and learn about what you're up to? Yeah, amazing. Thanks so much. So the best place is probably my website, which is johnnymiller.co, J-O-N-N-Y, M-I-L-L-E-R.co. And that's got links to the Curious Humans podcast, to Twitter, people are welcome to reach out and email me with with any questions or thoughts um, and sign up for the Curious Humans newsletter there as well. Um, yeah, it's, this has been fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you, Johnny, for being on the show. This was a really special conversation. So I really appreciate you being here. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad.